0: Hello and welcome to the Align Health Solutions Making Healthcare Better Podcast. My name is Rakia Campbell and I'm your host today. And today we are actually going to conclude our Social Determinants of Health podcast series with episode number three. Joining me today, I have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Donald Maloney. He's a Houston, Texas-based nephrologist with over 43 years of experience in the medical field. So thank you for joining me today, Dr. Maloney.
1: It's my pleasure. I think this is a critically important topic, and I um, applaud the efforts to try to make this a general discussion that we can all participate in and figure out how to solve the, uh, stri- the um, challenges that the social determinants of health throw at our patients and, and, and let us not uh, achieve uh, as good a care outcomes as we would uh, all uh, try to achieve.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, if we can get it started with you sharing a little more about your nephrology experience and how you became affiliated with the Lion.
1: So I've been a uh, member of the University of Texas faculty since 1984 at the the University of Texas Houston Medical School, now McGovern Medical School. And as a teacher and as a student of nephrology, I have been very interested in achieving improved outcomes for patients and looking at the evidence. So in trying to um, make these um, Concerns um, uh, into uh, action, I uh, long ago became involved with the ESRD network of Texas, Network 14, uh, which is now an Alliant uh, affiliated network. Um, And I have been involved with the Medical Review Board and then chair of the Medical Review Board and then on the Board of Directors uh, for now somewhere in the order of about eight or nine years which has given me the opportunity to see how we can look to um, good goals and try to achieve those across the board for all patients in our network. Um, And uh, it's been a uh, value added that now with with Alliant, we have an additional network that we can partner with. And many of the things that we may be talking about today are common efforts made by both uh, Network 8 and Network 14.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thanks so much again for being here. So I'll start off with the first question. How do the social determinants of health truly impact end-stage renal disease patients? Um, And the reason, obviously, that we're asking is because you work in that space.
1: So uh, the social determinants of health really impact uh, all aspects of nephrology care. Uh, In uh, most, um, maybe most importantly, uh, patients who are on dialysis do really require to uh, adhere to very stringent diets that we prescribe for them to achieve optimal outcomes, both to improve their nutritional status as well as to improve their mineral and bone metabolism. And these require sometimes very specialized foods and access to a variety of fresh foods, etc. Many of the patients who I care for uh, come from areas of our city where there are known food Deserts, and their access to really good nutrition is uh, more limited, even if they're well-educated and are making the best effort to achieve uh, the ESRD goals. Uh, and maintain their own good health. In addition, um, these uh, foods may require additional resources, but they also require, these patients require additional resources because now we have them on sometimes uh, 19 different medications uh, or different pills a day. And this is uh, a burden both in terms of acquiring these medications, um, and also a burden in taking them and trying to adjust their day to meet the medication needs. They also need good dental care to be able to maintain good nutrition. And this is also often not accessible to these patients who are in living in areas of the city where there are challenges in um, housing and in dental care and medical access, etc. cetera. Um, very importantly, all these patients who are on dialysis, whether it's in-center in hemodialysis or whether they come to a center for management of their peritoneal dialysis or other home modalities, need to be able to make the appointments at the dialysis unit, and this requires access to reliable transportation. And many of the patients that I care for who are uh, have the um, challenges with the um, Uh, social determinants of health um, don't have good access to transportation, uh, even on a regular basis. Um, And this impacts their ability to be able to maintain the the requirements that are provided that are made to, to them by their pro, by their providers requirements for adhering to a schedule coming to all their treatments making appointments to see physicians uh, in other set, settings for vascular access care or cardiology care or diabetes care Uh, Transportation is a major obstacle to them achieving uh, these kinds of appointments and um, these medical goals. Additionally, many of these patients also require help from family members. We uh, assume that if you're a patient on dialysis that you have a family member who can drop everything and make sure you get to your appointments and Mm -hmm. make sure you've got all your instructions correct. Correctly, but many of these uh, individuals either live alone or they're in their families, that all their members of their family are uh, struggling as well and trying to work. And so they can't take off time from work. And so just being able to manage all the complexities that we throw at them regarding their uh, care are going to be um, a a challenge uh, for these patients. We need to figure out better ways to help them navigate all of these. And uh, it would be um, prudent if we could simplify the regimens as much as possible and still maintain good outcomes. And if we could acknowledge that these challenges to transportation and other barriers uh, are existent. And if they miss an appointment, uh, it is not because they didn't uh, do their due diligence and try to make their appointments, etc.
0: Wow. And that's why us having this conversation is so important as we try to increase the awareness around all of the different factors that may impact someone being able to get access to sufficient health care. You've mentioned everything from the food desert to um, lack of good dental care due to lack of transportation, transportation being a major thing. Um, So in that same regards of of lack of access to good transportation and not being able to make a lot of their appointments, how does missing an appointment really impact a person's ability to receive care?
1: So. I think that the question you're asking is not how does it impact their current state of health, which if we know if they're not being able to get their treatment, they may have more challenges with electrolytes or fluid volume, et cetera. Right. But in addition to that, uh, patients who are unable to get to their all of their treatments are often labeled as being patients that are not reliable. Um, they may not be labeled as difficult patients per se. And I hate that label, and I will explain why I hate that label uh, in just a few few minutes, um, but they also will, they will be labeled as a patient that is not able to adhere to a complex regimen. And this will impact their ability to have the optimal dialysis program, whether it's home dialysis or the opt- optimal schedule, and may also be tra- uh, translate into a um, label that would make it more difficult than for them to be accepted by a transplant program for a kidney transplant. Even though they are trying very hard to meet their the visit needs and the expectations, and the um, prescription program that we have laid out for them. Now it does help if with all these um, social determinants of health, if there is a conversation between the provider and the patient to uh, explore what are the barriers and to make uh, any decisions about care schedules, et cetera, a joint decision. So there's a joint uh, decision making uh, that's patient centered and acknowledges these. And then in that case, uh, there may be ways in which we can help the patients with the these um, issues. If they if we don't help them with these issues, then there is t- tends to be a, a uh, environment in which there may be uh, blame and conflict and uh, controversy and that too will make it less likely for them to be able to um, choose why, choose for their care settings and have the flexibility to move to a new care setting or to um, be referred for a kidney transplant.
0: Wow. Wow. You wouldn't even think all of that would kind of snowball into a bigger issue, but it, but it truly, truly does. Now, someone listening may say, okay, so we're in this new, new age of living with COVID. Um, telehealth has been on the rise, the ability to, to have access to, um, to your doctor just through virtual appointments. So someone may say, well, with the demand for telehealth increasing and the accessibility of that now being available, Would telehealth actually help those that can't make their appointments in person?
1: Well, telehealth does have a role for some of the... Uh, appointments that they may need, meet, need to um, attend to, uh, including diabetes care and maybe even a nutritional consults, etc. But telehealth does not solve the issue of obtaining their uh, renal replacement therapy on the schedule that has uh, been um, related to them. Unless we can use to exploit telehealth fully and allow us to uh, increase the availability of home Uh, dialysis modalities and get more of these patients home, this would not only help our patients in say urban areas that may have um, these challenges, but it would be particularly beneficial in patients who are now traveling 200 miles round trip to get to a dialysis facility where they could potentially receive much of their care via telehealth and home dialysis uh, in rural areas in my state of Texas and in in Tennessee and other places. Um, So I think telehealth does have a role Um, And it may reduce the stressors on these patients, but there's a big challenge to telehealth. And that big challenge, I think, is to acknowledge that patients with the most uh, egregious challenges of the social determinants of health uh, often don't have access to either the internet if they're in rural areas, or if they have, live in more urban areas, they may not have the equipment that is required to do a full telehealth visit, Mm -hmm. um, such as computer, et cetera. And this is becoming more and more of a problem because in our uh, CKD settings and in our other clinic settings, we are relying more and more on the computer to make appointments, to keep appointments, to uh, provide information to patients. And if they have no access to a computer, they're left out of this way in which things are now being done. And uh, I do see that as a major challenge of telehealth, albeit it is an opportunity that may lead to better outcomes if we can exploit it and provide patients uh, in this group of patients with the equipment and the access that they need to be able to use it optimally.
0: Wow. So you mentioned earlier that a patient is facing those challenges and a facility ends up discharging them because of the consistency in not showing up for appointments, et cetera, um, that they often end up with no health care. Um, but what we have deter- discovered is in Network 8 and Network 14, there's actually a Second Chance program to support them. So tell us a little more about that, please.
1: Right. So Second Chance program is really an opportunity to try to reduce the um consequences of an involuntary discharge of a patient from a dialysis unit, where that patient is now um, known in the community to be, quote unquote, a troublemaker. And I think that it's always a very uh, incorrect um, the, um, definition of a patient. There's conflict with that patient may have with their provider, but often that conflict arises from the provider not understanding the circumstances that the patient has to deal with and not trying to make allowances for it. So the Second Chance Program is a program that was originally developed in Network 8 and was very quickly adopted also in Network 14 and some of the other networks across the country, whereby patients who are now without a dialysis facility are counseled about what they um, need to overcome their barriers And then a facility is found that would be willing to give them an opportunity of a short period of 60 days or 90 days to show that they can um, meet the challenges of doing the treatment and thereby um, receive appropriate treatment. The time limitation is that uh, it was required in this program simply because dialysis facility, we were asking now dialysis facilities to change their habits of not accepting these patients who are di- quote unquote difficult patients, but rather to take a chance on the, that's the second chance, the second chance on these difficult patients, give them an opportunity to. Share show that they can really, they really want to, and they will um, meet the challenges of obtaining good and uh, consistent and safe care. And um, therefore you bring the dialysis facilities together with the patients. And what we've seen in network 14 and in network eight is that the vast majority, and I think in network 14, virtually all of the second chance Pro program patients that we have placed have been able to remain in the dialysis units that have taken them on uh, through this program. And so now we're taking people that otherwise would be on the street and going in and out of emergency rooms for very disjointed and very problematic care uh, for their end-stage renal disease. Now they're in a settled, uh, consistent care setting in in a good and safe dialysis provider. And that's what the Second Chance program does.
0: Awesome. So Dr. Maloney, we're about to wrap up, but everything that you've shared has really been enlightening. Um, Our hope is that this episode will increase awareness about um, how the social determinants of health actually really impact ESRD patients specifically. Um, but what do you have any advice or suggestions on how this can be addressed on, on, a, on a national or even global scale um, with, with dealing with this and just increasing the awareness around it, or even advice for practitioners um, to just be more cognizant of things that may impact their patients? Do you have any kind of words of wisdom to leave us with?
1: Well, I have actually two uh, pieces of advice. The first is that the clinicians should continue to recognize that social determinants of health are, are very important impediments to optimal care for a patient and that the patient is often not given the resources to be able to overcome them uh, on the, by their own, by themselves. Um, and it's not the patient's fault that they are living in a food desert and they have more limited income and transportation and the other uh, issues that we have already alluded to, that it is critically important that clinicians Uh, including the social workers and the technicians and the nurses, but also very importantly, the physicians in care of these patients, uh, include the questions about what is the patient's situation at home, um, in the regular conversation, and try to determine if there's things that we could do in the dialysis facilities to allow patients to do better over, over overcoming these particular uh, issues. Um, in the more global sense, I think that um, we the Second Chance Program is really something that has grown out of the efforts by the networks to try to reduce involuntary discharges, and the failure then that that leads to of care for patients that otherwise would be receiving end-stage renal disease care through CMS's programs. And, if the second chance program is not available in the network uh, that uh, you find yourself in, I would recommend two things. First, mm-hmm. I would recommend that you reach out to the network and say and ask what, when and how one could establish a second chance program. And this model has been well established now in, in networks eight and network network fourteen as examples. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, secondly, um, you also always reach out if there's a if there's provider patient. Uh, disagreement or conflict always reach out to any of the networks in the network system um, for their help in addressing this conflict to try to avoid the need for or the outcome of involuntary discharge um, so the networks are there to help and uh, the second chance program is one way in which the networks potentially could help even more than than we are, have been in the past
0: wonderful Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I've appreciated it.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure. And
0: and thank you all for joining us for this latest episode of Alliant Health Solutions Podcast, Making Healthcare Better.